we are beginning to look at uh, a couple of weeks on, on marriage. Um, it's always risky talking about marriage, uh, particularly if you're married and you're, you know, your wife's in the room. And I forced Pauline to sit on the front row. So, so it looks like we're together. Um, it looks like things are good. Um, uh, I mean, actually, if you know Pauline, you'll know that that's not possible uh, to pretend it's together. If it isn't together, everyone would know that. Um, so just, just, a, just a few things. We're going to do three weeks. Um, um, the next three weeks, we're going to look at marriage. Just a couple of things to mention. I'm conscious that I don't want it to simply be um, me talking about marriage, although I'll explain why I'm doing that. And so after the end of each meeting down here, we're going to go upstairs uh, to the upstairs bar like we normally do. Uh, but we'll go to the top part of the bar. Um, and in, when we're up there, and you might want to get a drink or something, um, we're just going to have a, like a question and answer, maybe even a bit of a discussion time as well around the subject that we've talked about. And both Pauline and I will be up there to uh, take questions, talk, and just uh, generally open up the subject of, uh, of, of marriage or marriage and singleness as it is as, as we're looking at today. Um, and so I'm hoping that that will help. I'm hoping that that will engage us. Um, I'm, I'm really open. If you've got questions and you want to, um, like, if you've got questions that you don't want to actually verbally ask but you would like us to look at, then you can just write those down and even hand those to Pauline or if you've got her mobile, just text her the question. Um, it, the questions don't need to be asked openly um, if, there, if there is an issue. Uh, so I, I wanted to say that. Um, I also wanted to recommend two books on marriage, one of which I'm recommending so much. With, we've bought some copies to sell on to you if you want, if you want them. And that is uh, uh, Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. And, and this came out, I think it was this year or, or late last year? Last year. End of last year, uh, Phil and Dan. Well, Dan knows and probably told everyone else. Um, uh, Dan's the reader at Beacon. Um, and so it is, I've got to be honest, it's easy to say this, best book I've read on marriage. And I've read a, f a number of books on marriage, or at least I've tried to. I don't get through all of them. But this one is just brilliant. It, it, and, it, and I tell you, it's brilliant whether you are married, engaged, or single. If you haven't read this book, you must read this book. Because it just brings a perspective um, that is so clear and so sort of biblical. That's probably partly why I loved it. Maybe he said some things that I thought, uh, but I couldn't articulate in that sort of way. Um, and, and Tim Keller leads a, a church of a, a few thousand in New York. So he, he understands a little bit um, leading a church, I suppose, in a city, in, a, in an urban context with lots of maybe 20-somethings and 30-somethings. He totally understands that and really addresses it well in this book. So I would highly recommend um, everyone get this book we are selling it upstairs for five pounds. Um, I think we've got about 15 copies. It will cost you more than that if you were just to go and buy it. So I really would recommend it. And, and much of what I say um, comes from, from, that, from the Bible, but I hope from Tim as well. Um, and then this book I would also recommend, uh, Nikki and Scylla Lee, uh, The Marriage Book. Uh, to be honest, I'd recommend this to you if you're married. If you're, if you're not married... Uh, you can read it if you want, but it's probably not the best, the best book to read. But if you are married, I would, I would recommend this. I'd also recommend the marriage course um, if you've never done that. And, uh, and, you know, I would suggest go to HDB. We did the marriage course as like a date night. So once a week we would drive up to London, uh, we'd have some food, we'd, we'd get a talk, and then we'd have awkward conversations about our marriage. And so um, you can do that uh, by going to the marriage course. Sorry? It's not inspiring, okay. Uh, they weren't awkward, actually. They were really helpful. And, uh, but this is a really good book uh, 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 to read as well, the, uh, the marriage book. Um, over the next three weeks, I suppose I would, I would bring it down to one, one verse. I mean, there will be lots of verses, but one verse that, that I really want to assert um, into sort of our world and into our church, and that's this. Genesis 2 Verse 24 says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you uh, so much for uh, just being with us in the worship. 
Lord, I thank you that, that your word is so full of um, truth that changes lives. And Lord, I pray that the truth about marriage will change lives today in Jesus' name. Amen. So that, that one verse, probably it's the first verse in the Bible that talks about the subject, and uh, I think it's, it still encapsulates everything that one would want to say. And, and what it does is it tells us this much, if nothing else, that marriage is by design, uh, by God's design, an exclusive relationship between a man and a woman. It's the most exclusive and intimate of all human relationships. And if human relationships work well and work as they should do, your marriage relationship should be the closest relationship that you have, even closer than that with your children. And though uh, some people think, well, you know, the, the bond between a mother and a child is so close because a child comes out of a mother, actually, as your children get older, you will understand and realise that you are forever preparing them to be separate from you, not part of you. And yet your marriage should be the relationship that remains and gets closer. And, and I believe that it's within the context of the marriage getting closer that every other relationship works well and works best. And so um, it's important to assert that truth. But it's also important to assert this truth, that marriage is penultimate. It is not ultimate. It's penultimate. It's not ultimate. It's a shadow of something greater to come. Yeah, it's not the ultimate thing in the world. It's not like, oh, if, the only, if only I could get married, then everything would be okay. I mean, Shah's word was about that. It was about the idea that, that we look at circumstances and think, if only this changed, everything would be better. Yeah, and we all think that, don't we, about different things. You might think it about marriage. I might think it about money. Someone else might think it about uh, their work. If only I got that promotion, everything else would be better. Now, we know when we sit back and think about it that that is not necessarily true, and it is not true of marriage. It is not the ultimate thing. It's a shadow. And so in Ephesians 5, it tells us this, Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this reason, it quotes, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So ultimately, when you think about marriage, marriage is a shadow of something that's even bigger than that. And that is the relationship between Christ and his church. You just need to know that marriage is trumped by faith. Yeah? That your faith in Christ should bring about the most intimate relationship you can possibly have as a person, not with another human being, but with the Spirit of God, the most intimate satisfying relationship should be that of your relationship with Christ. That's ultimate. Marriage is penultimate. If you, if you look for marriage, in marriage, for the ultimate thing, you will be disappointed. You know, I'm not saying this happened, but imagine that Pauline noticed me. Maybe I was wandering down the street one day before we got married. She said, oh, who's that? Yeah, and it's Owen then. I'm wandering down the street and things go the way they go and we get married um, and she's looking for me to be her hero, do you know what? Within two days, she'd be disappointed. Yeah? Because I'm not very heroic. Yeah? I'm, I'm actually the, probably the very opposite of a hero. And, and she expresses levels of disappointment about that, but actually not enough. Yeah? So if you look to your husband or your wife to be the ultimate form of satisfaction, you will be disappointed. And it's really important that you know that if you're married. It's also really important you know that if you're single. That you're not looking for this person to become the ultimate because it was never meant to be the ultimate. Our relationship with Christ is the ultimate. I have to, I have to find ultimate satisfaction there. I must. If I don't find it there, I won't find it. I have to find it there. So I just needed to say that up front because that's what we're talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the importance of, of marriage, but also I want us to understand where marriage fits in, in the sort of context of God and his purposes and what he's doing in the earth. So why is a series like this important? Just a few facts and figures. Society trends. Now, we often hear that 50% of marriages end in divorce, but that is not actually true. It's not true that 50% of marriages end in divorce. 
Um, it's not to say that lots of marriages don't. It, what happens is every year you get a certain amount of marriages and what's happened over time is half of, those, half of the people who get, that get married, another sort of half of those get divorced. Let me give you just some examples. 1967, long time ago, the year I was born, there was nearly 400,000 marriages in the UK and around 50,000 divorces in the UK. 2009, so three years ago, there, were, there was not much more than 200,000 marriages and over 100,000 divorces. So marriages have come down, divorces have gone up, um, but, it, but not every sort of, it's not half of all the marriages that get divorced. Um, they'd done some statistics in 1970. Um, they worked out that after 15 years, a third of those marriages that began in 1970, no, no, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a third, it was a fifth of those marriages had ended in divorce. And in 1995, it was a third. So the number had gone up, uh, but actually it wasn't yet um, uh, that, uh, that amount. Now, one of the things that's obviously happening, it's not that, it's interesting, it's not that people aren't interested in coming together. So though marriages has gone down, it, that's not because more and more people don't want to come together. It's just that they're not, they're not using marriage as the vehicle to do it. And it would be right to say, although I don't have any statistics for this, it would be right to say that couples that come together who don't get married are more likely to split up than couples who come together who do get married. Why? Well, some of the reasons for that would be that when people come together for reasons like we've got a mortgage, we've got a child now, oh, I stay over most nights anyway, I might as well move in, which lots of people come together for those reasons. When that happens, that's not a strong reason to stay together when it gets tough. Yeah, because I, I, I worked with a number of people that it was like that. I remember him saying, oh, well, in the end, I was always over there, so I just moved in. And I'm like, okay, that's, okay, you've moved in together now, you're, you're living together now. I'm not sure that that reason will keep you there together when it gets tough. Because you need something more than that. At least with marriage, you go through a process that means you think about the commitment that you're making. You consider it seriously and you go, okay, we're going to do this. And so um, it's important to, uh, for us to understand the sort of the way the trends work. The other thing that's interesting, in 2010, the highest um, amount of divorces occurred between men and women between the ages of 40 and 44. So that's about Pauline and I's age. So this, is, this was the age when more people got divorced than at any other age. Why do people get divorced? There are two main reasons. Can anyone give me what they think those reasons are? Adultery, that's one. Money, no, not money. Boredom, no. Well, maybe, but... No, no, the other one, adultery is the second most common reason why couples get divorced. The most common reason is behaviour. It's behaviour. It's the things that you do. It's the way you respond. It's the fact that, you know how it can get a bit awkward? And in the end, you don't talk about it. And, and tragically, Pauline and I knew a couple that decided, you know, when it gets awkward and we have those bits that, that, that we don't like about our relationship, well, let's agree not to talk about them. We knew a couple that did that. And so it was no surprise a few years later when they got divorced. You may have read in the paper yesterday, I heard on the news, uh, Tom Cruise and his wife, Katie Holmes, got divorced. And the reason was irreconcilable differences. They couldn't sort it out. They couldn't make it work. One of the saddest stats that I read recently was that 60% of divorced couples didn't want to divorce. They didn't want to do it. But in the end, they couldn't find a way of sorting it. They didn't have, if you like, the tools to make it work or the commitment or whatever else it is that you need. In truth, not enough is done to help couples who struggle, yeah? You're, you're better becoming a celebrity divorce lawyer than you are a marriage counsellor, yeah? There's more money there. There's more work because in the end, people don't work at it always enough. You wonder, though, how many marriages would survive, could be saved with the right amount of support and help. 
So society trends are moving away from it. Also, more and more in our society, marriage is under attack by the secular world, both as an institution and as an exclusive relationship between men and women. It's under attack. People, and, and I don't think it's going to stop. You know, you, you, you hear now that there's arguments about um, um, defining marriage, marriage not being defined by male and female alone. It can be defined in other ways. I can tell you that when it goes that way, it won't stop there. In the end, marriage itself will be under attack. That the whole institution of marriage is under attack. More and more people live together. More and more people come into civil partnerships. Marriage is under attack. And, and as a Christian, that becomes really difficult for us because the Bible's really clear about marriage. So it becomes difficult for the Christian because we're like, oh my goodness me, what are we going to do? For all these years, our country was more of a Christian country and in some ways it was easier then to live. Now, actually it becomes a lot more difficult for us. Thirdly, marriage, as I sort of looked at in that, in that sort of Ephesians passage, is a reflection of the gospel. It's a reflection of Christ's love for the church. And sometimes I think we forget that. We think that Christian marriage is simply a little bit better than other marriages rather than fundamentally different. And it should be fundamentally different. Just as we expect Christian singles to live a life which is fundamentally different to other singles, yeah? The Christian single who's seeking to live for God remains celibate. That is odd in the world in which we live today. Fundamentally different. The Christian marriage should also be fundamentally different in how it comes together. It should be as radical as that. And then another reason why it's important is our own pastoral experience. My pastoral experience. Half our congregation are married. A good number are engaged or dating. And if we're honest, most of our singles would like to be married. Yeah, so we can't just ignore it. We can't just pretend it doesn't happen. There's no point in me saying to myself, well, I'm married. Thankfully, I'm already married. That won't do for us. It's in our own interest to strengthen marriages, prepare engaged couples well, help people who want to be married, make wise and good choices about marriage partners in the future, and promote and value singleness. We need to do these things. And then another reason why it's probably both important and also a motivation for me is just my personal experience. My personal experience just of life. And so, yeah, my, my personal experience would be this. In my family, I've got um, uh, two, you know, I've got two adult sisters and an adult brother, and obviously my parents. In my family, there have been five divorces, and I'll be the only um, one of my siblings to remain married to the same person. So there's, there's, just, there's just around me, I've just seen breakdown. And then for Pauline and I, um, just growing up, so many of our close friends divorced. Yeah? And every time it happened, it was like a minor, it was like a minor bomb going off around us. And there came a point where we said to ourselves, do you know what? We, you know, because we would look at every situation. Every time it happened, we would look at it and we'd go, my goodness, what happened there? That relationship looked the same as our relationship. What happened? And so we made decisions to invest in our marriage and to strengthen our marriage, which is why, although sort of I mocked it, the marriage course was fantastic for us as a couple and the marriage book. This really helped us strengthen our marriage. And we also made the decision to help others. Yeah? We wanted to help other people so that they didn't end up, like so many of our friends, making, making odd decisions. And I'm not, I'm not sort of, um, I don't, this is just something I can't remember. I can't remember growing up ever hearing people preach about marriage. Like in my early years, I can't remember it. So for me, it's really important and I'm motivated for it, which is why we're really sort of giving ourselves to this and we want to do Q&A at the end. Um, not, not because we're in any sense experts at all, because if you came and looked at our marriage, you'd be saying, oh my life, really? You think you can, that's what you'd be thinking, because, you, because it's not, in that sense, it's not any different. It's not any different to anyone else. So we'd probably just try and work at things. 
but we're not any better uh, than other people. But today, I wanted to address the question of singleness and marriage. And for some people, that might seem an odd thing to do. And obviously, the first response I get from people is, oh, you know, you talk about marriage, or what about singles? Hey, what about equality, Owen? Talk to everyone about everything that they need to hear. And I'm like, okay, yeah. But you, need, you know what? You can't run life like that. You know, you're just trying to... Oh, did, did I say enough over here for that? No. What about the singles? That's the question. People immediately think that when you talk about marriage, you're only talking to married people and you're being exclusive. Singles can be tempted to stay away because they don't feel the talks will be relevant to them in their life right now. Or for others, it maybe it's just too painful maybe because of a breakup of a marriage or a breakdown of a relationship. I want to encourage you to stay with it. I, I want to encourage you not just to think to yourself, oh, well, I'll come this week because he's talking about it, but I won't come on the other week. So I want to encourage you to do it because I'm definitely not just talking to married people. I actually think we make a mistake when we distance singleness and marriage because, one, we are all single at some point, and it definitely leads to the other. Yeah? They are much closer linked than you think. And if we separate them too much, do you know what happens? If singles have no exposure to marriage or married people or talks about marriage or whatever, then you can get views on marriage which are, frankly, not, not real. If you have absolutely no exposure to it. So you have to keep these things together as much as possible. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, explains why he preached a series on marriage to his church that was 80% single at the time. He did nine weeks. Yeah? And he, it's not like he's Mr. Dynamic. So people will come in for nine weeks to hear him talk about marriage. But this is what he says. He says the answer as to why he preached that is that single people can't live their lives well as singles without a balanced view of marriage. If they do not have that, they will either over-desire marriage or under-desire marriage. If they don't get a balanced view of marriage, you're either going to over-desire it, i.e. it becomes a bit of an idol, you idolise it, or you under-desire it, and if you over-desire it, you just might marry someone for the wrong reasons, and if you under-desire it, you just might miss someone for the wrong reasons. So you've got to have a balanced view of marriage. A healthy view of marriage means a single person enjoys and handles their own singleness better. If you can have a healthy view of it. If you over-desire it, as I say, you might marry for the wrong reasons. So what I want to do is to bring an understanding of singleness that is as much shaped by the Bible as our understanding of marriages. So our understanding of marriage, I'm hoping, will end up being shaped by what the Bible says, not simply by what our culture demands of us or what our culture pushes to us, but we also must have that same understanding of singleness. So I'm going to look at five characteristics of Christian singleness. The first is this, the purpose of Christian singleness. Because remember, I talk about Christian singleness because it is different. It's fundamentally different to other singleness. Because if you're, if you're single over here and you're not a Christian, you're free to express yourself in whatever way you feel Fit. But if you're a Christian, actually, it doesn't operate like that. It was never meant to operate like that. Paul sees, first of all, the context of marriage and singleness as being on mission for God because the time is short. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29, it says this. And he's, he's talked about the whole of this chapter is about marriage and singleness. And he says, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none, and those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. So we must live with a sense of mission. I don't know how many of us do that. Live with a sense of mission. Now, obviously, in Paul's day, they're expecting Jesus to return. That's one of the, that was one of their motivations. Jesus is coming back, and we're on a mission uh, to spread the gospel, and, and that's what we're about. 
And yet, and yet 2,000 years later, Jesus hasn't returned, and are we still expecting him to return? Do we live with any sense of mission in our lives? Or do we just think, well, you know, I'm just going to gather more and more stuff. You know, I'll get to that level of life, I'll just gather more stuff. Or do we live with a sense that, no, this world is passing away, and he will come back for his own. And we are thankful that he has called us into his mission, but actually he's called us to help others come into his mission. And is that the status of our lives? And we need to live as though it was and as though it is. So when you marry, marriage isn't your mission, but when you marry, marriage becomes part of the mission. So I always think of Moses at this point, and Moses meets Zipporah, and Zipporah was like a shepherdess. He meets her. They fall in love, however you did that back then, and they get married, and, and basically Zipporah joins the mission. And what's the mission? Well, the mission's, oh, what, what are we about, Moses? Well, we're going to lead two million people out of Egypt. You can imagine saying, but I, I just want to be a shepherdess. Why can't we just look after the sheep and stay here? No, 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 we're on a mission. And have you married on mission? Because if you don't marry on mission, then your marriage becomes your mission. Or your other things become your mission. And it was never designed for that. And getting things in the right design and the right order actually really helps. Do you know what? That we, as an element where Pauline and I, I don't know that we always married on, that mission was always part of our marriage. Because as I've said to you before, I didn't tell her when we first got married that I felt some sense of call to full-time Christian ministry. I, I, I never shared that with Pauline until two or three years later. And I received the backlash for that. Yeah? And she made it really clear that she thought, what an, I don't even see you doing that. I mean, why are you even saying that? I don't see it in you. But actually, from that moment, our marriage became, became on mission. We came on mission together. And obviously, Pauline didn't want to plant a church. She didn't want to be married to a leader. Um, but actually, we're on, we're on mission. But she always wanted to do what God wanted. She always wanted to do that. And I knew that. And so having mission really helps. But recognising that, that you're on mission together, but the marriage is really important, the way that sort of works. So the purpose of both marriage and singleness is to be on mission. It's not to get married. Secondly, the status of Christian singleness. Of all religions and faiths and beliefs, from the first century to now, Christianity is one of the few that actually affirms singleness. It affirms singleness. So the Apostle Paul says this. He says, It is good for a man not to marry. It's good. It's good for a man not to marry. We often think that singleness is just a stage of life. You know, my first chapter of life, I'm a baby, I'm a child, then I become a teenager, then I get into my trains, maybe I find a job, I work for a little while, then I'll get married, and then we think of it as a stage, but actually it's not necessarily a stage like that. It's affirmed in scripture. It's good for a man not to marry. How can we argue with that when the Apostle Paul himself was single and Jesus himself was single? The two, the two greatest exponents of the gospel were single. It's good for a man not to marry. Christianity is unique in its affirmation of that. Because what it does, if that's true, then, then you have to find some things in different places. Because one of the reasons people married in the past was because of the need to reproduce themselves. Heirs. That I would have children that I would have people that would carry my name. And in some cultures, that's still quite important, the reproduction of oneself. But actually, for the Christian, why is that not important? Because our reproduction comes from God. It's no longer about my own physical heir. It's about all the heirs that I have in Christ. There is a different approach for the Christian. And so we must recognise that that that. that that for us, marriage is not the ultimate way of, of producing heirs or, or marrying into money. If you think about 100 or so years ago, it was about marrying into a particular family. Well, actually, I don't need to marry into a family now because I'm part of the family of God. Now, although you might think to yourself, oh, that's easy to say I mean, when you're married, but it, but it must be true. 
If it's not true, then, then, then that's my problem as much as anyone else's problem. As a married man, it must be true that I'm part of the family of God. So it, so it affirms singleness. The church hasn't always helped in that, let's be honest. The church promotes marriage like it's the thing. Just wait your turn. It's going to come. Come on, come on. It's going to happen. But let's be honest, it doesn't always happen. And there are lots of things that you dream and desire that don't happen. And you know what? You get to my age and you realise, I wanted that and it, ne- it never happened. And you know what? It's likely not to happen. Have you got that? Have you got to that stage in life where you've realised some of my dreams aren't going to come true? Yeah? Marriage can be a dream that for some people might not come true. But that doesn't mean that you are less of. Because God affirms singleness. We see singleness as good because we believe in an either, even deeper satisfying relationship can be had with Christ than with a husband or a wife. Yeah? The real question is, do you actually believe that? Do you believe that that is true? Because if you believe that that's true, it can set you free. It can set you free whether you're married or you're single to pursue every relationship in the order it was meant to be pursued and put God first. Also in the same passage in 1 Corinthians 7, it it talks about uh, the woman, it talks about her, her aim is to be devoted, the single woman, her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. So if you're single and you're not devoted to the Lord, then what are you devoted to? You're devoted to something. Your devotion, your energies, your passions are going somewhere if they're not going to him. But as a Christian... We're called to be devoted to Christ. That means we find our attention, our satisfaction, our passion is in him ultimately, not in anything else or anyone else. Although we all can seek it in other places, our ultimate place of finding it is in Christ. And you might be thinking to yourself, gosh, if this is true, then my relationship with God is far, far away from where it should be. And maybe some of us need to acknowledge that. Hey, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm looking for things in the wrong places. You know, I'm looking under the bed when it's in the kitchen. Thirdly, third characteristic, the gift of singleness. Paul talks in this passage that each one has his own gift. And he's talking about marriage or singleness, that it's a gift. I don't mean it's a gift as in you go to yourself, oh, my life, have I got the gift of singleness, which means I'll never get married? Is that how, is that how the gift comes? No, I don't think that's how it comes. I think, that, I think that God gives you what you need for the stage you're at right now. If you are single, it gives you the gift of singleness to be able to live in that condition. If you're married, it gives you a gift to live in that condition. Yeah? It's not like, oh my goodness, I think I've got the gift of singleness and I don't want it. Yeah? Do you imagine that? Imagine, God, I don't want that gift. Don't give me that gift. Give me other gifts. Gifts of reproduction, children. (laughs) Then the grace to Christian singles. This is another characteristic. And and, and I've talked before about the idea that you can find grace everywhere. And if you you look at life like that, then suddenly life becomes really different because you don't think to yourself, oh man, why why didn't I get that job promotion? Why didn't that happen? What you can think is, oh man, God was so gracious to me that I didn't get that job in order that I might do this. Yeah, Often we don't look on life like that. We can get frustrated. Oh, you know, I didn't earn this amount of money. Oh, isn't that gracious that God's given you that? That God enables you to do those things? You know, you hit a problem and you think, oh, my, how am I going to deal with that? And then you remember, oh, I've got that. That can help me. And you don't see that as the grace of God. You still have the anxiety and the issues. Oh, but oh, God's been gracious to me. He's given me stuff. Paulie and I often have this discussion about, about, don't you think that's God's grace to us, my love? I say to her. And she's like, oh, no, no, I'm just, you know, no, I'm not so sure. And I'm saying, no, God's been gracious to us. And the grace to Christian singles is the church family. It's the grace. So you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, I'm single, I'm on my own. But actually you have a family. 
Yeah? And that family and the potential of the relationships of that family are deeper than you think they are. What it says in 1 Peter is this, the end of all things is near. So we've got, we're back to that idea of, of things are coming to an end and we're on mission together. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love each other deeply. The church must provide that because that's part of the grace for the Christian single is that you're part of a community where you love each other deeply and you have relationships. When I've talked before it, when, it, when it talks about um, uh, you know, respect older men as fathers and older women as widows, treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. You can have good relationships in the church and it's the grace of God to you that you do. That you can be friends with other people's children, it's the grace of God to you that you can. That you can engage in family life and it's the grace of God to you that that's, that's the case. Because if that wasn't the case, you'd, be, you'd have to find those things in other places. So there is grace to the single person. But the question is how many of us have the expectation that our church family will provide that? We need to know that the family of God will and can provide that for us. Fifthly, and finally on this, the choice of Christian singles. Again, in this passage, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, towards the end, it says, if anyone is acting improperly, if any man is acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if she's getting on in years, I don't make any comments on those, and he feels he ought to marry, but this is the bit I want to emphasise, he should do as he wants. It actually goes on to say, you're not sinning if you marry, and you're not sinning if you don't marry. You should do as you want. Yeah. So that, that is telling us that there is the freedom to marry or not to marry if you're single. Now, if you're married, that freedom's not there anymore. So if you're married and you're in a situation where you think, do you know what's a little bit tricky? Yeah? It's a little bit tricky, I'm married. It's going through like a bit of a difficult time. You're not free to walk away if you're a Christian. You're not free to do that. What you've got to do is you've got to turn around and you've got to work at it. Yeah? It, yes, you want to pray, but there's not in, it's, not in, it's not good enough just to go and pray. If you're having marriage difficulties and you get on your knees every day, oh God, help us, help us, help us. You've got to get up and get involved and you've got to engage in your relationship. And over the next two weeks, we'll talk about ways in which you can do that. But for the Christian single, you're free to marry and you're free not to marry. He can do as he wishes. That's what it says. He's not sinning either way. Now, what you don't want to do is string people along. You need to be wise and mature and kind, like Boaz was with Ruth. You don't string people along, but you are free to marry or not to marry. And then it says of the widow, it talks of that if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Now, please don't restrict that passage to saying, oh, it's only talking about if your partner dies that you have to marry someone who belongs to the Lord. No. Yeah? You, you marry anyone you wish, but they must belong to the Lord. So the freedom is there to marry. But the Bible doesn't speak of a special person. The Bible doesn't tell us that, you know, one day God will give a name to you over the heavens. You'll wake up and it will say, Pauline. Lord, have you spoken? Did you say... No, it it doesn't work like that because when it works like that or when you think it works like that, you think because God said Pauline, that means it will work. If God said, said it, then it must work. But actually marriage doesn't operate like that and that is contrary to the way the people in the Bible come to their relationships. They don't come about it in that way. It says here, he must, she, anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. It makes no judgment on their looks, their race, their height. It doesn't say you must marry a Jew who's six foot two. and uh, this is, No, it doesn't say that. He must belong to the Lord. It's the only condition that's given. Any other condition you have is cultural. It's cultural. The only condition is that they belong to the Lord. So you might need to review the list. 
yeah, that sometimes we have. The 50 things. You can't even remember them all when you see someone. Oh, don't they, don't, no, 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 no. They do the wrong sort of job. They must belong. Now you need to be wise and sensible and you don't just run around. You know, you need to be wise and sensible. But the conditions, there's one, that they love him like you do. It's the one prayer I have for my girls that if they marry, that they would marry someone who loves Jesus more than they do. That's what I want, more than anything. Because I know from my own experience, that's the thing that changes everything. That's the thing that keeps you open. That's the thing that keeps you humble, that you would love Jesus more than anything else. So Paul doesn't give any other uh, sort of categories You'll see when we look on week three and we look at marriages that last, why it's important to to hold to the biblical expectation of a partner and not look at the externals. Because we are, you know, we, we get pulled into the externals, the attractiveness. There are other more solid reasons marriages stay together other than the looks, the compatibility or the feelings. There are other reasons. You might think to yourself, oh, that's really helpful. Yeah, there are other things that keep marriages together other than the fact that, well, she's really pretty, we get on really well, and I just, I just love her. Yeah? I'm not saying those things are bad, those are good things. But actually, when it's really going to keep going and it's going to last, it's going to keep going, you need some other things. That, that those things don't always, they're not enough in the end. And neither does Paul in this talk speak of receiving the word from God. It's the right person. You just need to be really, really wise about that and share that with people where you think God might have spoken to you about, well, this is the person. I've seen people do that, get married, and their marriage break up, and then what happens? Your whole relationship with God is, is under threat. Because if, oh man, if God got that wrong, if I heard God that wrong. So you have to be wise on that. Okay, so very quickly, I want to run through, so I've looked at some characteristics of singleness. I want to run through just some practical things. How do I go about finding a marriage partner? Because what I find with most singles is they they just go about it on their own. Yeah, they just, you know, well, this is what I do. Yeah, and they don't necessarily talk to anyone and no one's necessarily going to talk to me. So I'm just going to tell you some things and you can accept them or not accept them. But I think the first is this. And some of these I've just nicked straight from Keller. Some of them are my own things. But not all of them. There are seasons for seeking marriage and there are seasons for not seeking marriage. So if you want to be married, don't think to yourself, every minute of every day, all my life, I'm looking to be married. Because there are seasons where where it's not appropriate for you to seek marriage. It might be it's a season after you've split from a relationship. You know, so often people go on the rebound, you know, you've, 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 something's gone wrong here, and actually within a very short space of time, you're, you're finding love again over here. That's not always the wisest thing to do. Sometimes you have to process what's happened. You need to know which season you are in, or you might just be realising, do you know what, I've got a whole load of stuff I'm sorting out, and God's speaking to me about a whole load of things in my life. This is not the time for me to be seeking a spouse. Sometimes that's a wise thing to do rather than thinking to yourself, oh, you know, man, if I pass up this opportunity, will there be other? Sometimes it's a wise thing not to continually seek to be married. Secondly, how do I go about finding a marriage partner? Get good advice along the way. And I would, I would, just, I would urge you, if you are single, seek, um, seek in marriage, make yourself accountable to a married couple that you trust for counsel, support, and advice. I would make myself accountable. Now, I used to make myself accountable to everyone who would talk to me. Yeah? So I just used to get advice from everyone. And I still do that. I'm not, not, not saying about my marriage, but about other aspects of my life. I would talk to anyone, and they're, oh, right, okay, yeah, well, that's helpful. But I used to talk to loads of people about it. But I would find a married couple you trust who know you a bit. They know you a bit. Or, whether it, or maybe it's a pe- your, your parents. 
I was really struck when my cousin, who's older than me, said that when I began to date Winsome, the first people I spoke to were mum and dad because they know me better than anybody else. And they would see things that I wouldn't see. I was like, oh, I'd never thought about that. But I would definitely give that advice. Make yourself advi- uh, accountable. Get good advice along the way. Thirdly, deal with history. Don't bury it. Deal with history. Don't bury it. If you've been through a difficult breakup or relationship, yes, time is a great healer, but so is talking, praying and support and advice. Those are also ways in which you can get sorted out. Seek it out. Don't just wait for the hurt to go away. Do you know what I mean? Like you cut your finger, you just wait. Oh, I bruised my finger. I'll just wait for it to, to, to not bruise again. And you think, fine. Because do you know what happens if you don't do that? Too often our actions in the present are dictated by our past hurts and experiences. Oh, the last time I went out with a man six foot five, it was awful. I'm never going to do that again. Do you know what I mean? It's a silly example, but you know what I mean? Oh, the last time I said yes to a guy who was two years older than me, he treated me really bad. I'm never going to do that again. You need to work through some stuff. And do you know what? That's just a good discipline. Work through some stuff. Deal with issues in yourself. Recognise it's not always someone else. Sometimes there's stuff in you. The next, appreciate the single life and the grace God has given to you. Appreciate it. Be thankful for it. Be grateful for it. Next, and this one's hard, try and adopt a Christian view, not a cultural one, on who you're looking for. That they belong to the Lord is the primary issue here. That they love Jesus more than you do. Don't don't simply take on the cultural view that they must just... Well, if they're not pretty, how how am I supposed to... How how can you marry someone who's not pretty? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, come on. It's just, you know, I don't... Just need to grow up a little bit here because that's not the thing that keeps it going, I can tell you. Not that Pauline isn't pretty, she is pretty. (laughs) I knew I was going to say something wrong there. But actually, we didn't marry, well, she didn't marry me for prettiness. Maybe maybe handsomeness. But no, we didn't, it wasn't that, there were deeper things. There was more to it than that. But try to adopt a Christian view, not a cultural one, i.e., the looks and the money and all the status and all that type of stuff. Or let's not get over-spiritual about it. Well, God's told me it's not this person. Did he? What, what made he say that? Well, me and God. No, let's not, let's not get over-spiritual about it. And the reason I say that, because actually when you're in marriage, you realise that, that, yes, you can pray and you can get on your knees. And my mum used to pray lots. And that was the biggest example that she gave me. But her and dad didn't really work on their relationship. So the moment all the kids left home, they split up. She prayed lots and she worshipped and she sang songs to Jesus. Yeah, my mum did that all the time. She had a special way of blowing and making noises. Yeah, but in the end, marriage needs more than that. It's not enough for me to go, oh God, would you change Pauline's heart? Yeah, no, I might pray that for particular things, but then if I don't engage with her, you know, God, it's not osmosis, it's not telepathic. Next, if you're trying to seek a marriage partner, please put to death the idol of marriage. It's penultimate. It's not ultimate. There are other places to find deeper satisfaction in him. So I'd ask you to do that. And if you're thinking about how do I do that, a great book I'd recommend is, um, again, by Tim Keller. He's written a book called um, Counterfeit Gods. And it talks about how we seek love in places that are good, but they're not ultimate. And we turn good things into ultimate things. And, and finally, well, but I think I've already covered that one, don't over-spiritualise marriage. So what I'm trying to do here is, I'm, I, you just need to, I'm trying to help. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn people. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you. I am passionate about marriages um, 
that, that work and that people that work at their marriage. And, if, and we do marriage prep with lots of people, and it's never fun, to be honest. Yeah, marriage prep with us isn't fun. We're all about how do we give people the tools that are going to help them make this work? Yeah? I totally believe in the gospel of marriage. Totally believe that Christ is at the centre. And you'll, you'll see when we talk over the next couple of weeks. Totally believe those things. But, but for marriage to work, we need to be able to talk. We need to be committed. It's not enough just to let things go by and hope for the best. Hoping for the best always ends up in a wall somewhere. Somewhere down the line, it all comes crashing down. And by then, often, it's too late. So that's what we do marriage prep for. If, but if, you, if you're here and you're thinking, do you know what, this is all great, but, but we are struggling, if you would honestly say that, or we need some more help, then again, I would say, speak to us. We're always happy where, we, when we've, where we've got time. We're always happy to talk to people. I love talking to people about marriage. I do. I, you know, and, you know, I, I preach to you on my, my, around my kitchen table as much as I do here. So I, I love talking to people about marriage, and particularly if you can be at times humble enough to go, do you know what, I think we need help. So often the time people ask for help, it's already gone. You know, when our, one of our closest friends, when they split up, their marriage split up after... 20 years, by the time I was in the kitchen pleading with him not to leave his wife, it was already over. It was too late. And, and, uh, and I don't want that to happen here. I'm thankful that here we have good marriages, actually. We've got people who've not been married for many years, but I know they work at it. Yeah? And it's not always easy discovering things about yourself and you'll discover more about yourself in marriage than anywhere else it's not always easy so feel free to talk to us just going to pray in a moment and then uh, I'm going to encourage us the, the band obviously got to clear up and stuff but we're going to go up and probably about 10 past 12 we'll be upstairs and we'll, we'll just do some Q&A and questions if you want to write questions down or, or whatever you want to do then just do that and we'll be on the upstairs part of the bar. So let's pray together.